oh God, I thought there was somebody behind me, but it's just my headphones. <laughs> that was weird. Um, oh God, can you, Finn, you're looking behind us. Can you see us silent? Um, <laughs> Not at the moment, unless I've um, just forgotten. Um. So... <laughs> Welcome to Cruising Through Doomsday, a podcast about Doctor Who, Doomsday, a transmedia experience. And this is the second part of our episode on Doomsday Dying Hours. Uh, I'm Philip Wheeland, my pronouns are he and him. My name is Georgia Harper, my pronouns are she and her. And yes, the Bastille reference in the title was my idea. And joining us again, uh, we have... Bryn, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm Bryn Mitchell. My pronouns are she and her. And yeah, I'm glad to be back to discuss the second half of these, this box set. Yeah, it turns out there's a lot of content in Big Finish. Yes. We, we, yes. We're not going to subject you to a three-hour podcast. No. But good news. Since the uh, last recording that we did, uh, we actually have the CD now, the physical thing. So uh, shall we shall we talk about uh, the actual CD now a little bit? Uh, Bryn, you talked a little bit about like, oh, I hope that there's cardboard sleeves with all the individual art. Um, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was speculating whether it would be like the old school big finish box sets where there was four separate CD cases within the sleeve, but no, it is it is the um, combined one that they've, to be fair, have mostly been doing sort of phasing mm. through different ranges since yeah. like 2018-ish. But yeah, it's um, just because of the fact that those individual cover art had me speculating whether it would be more like the old school one. So um, I, yeah. um, I'm aware my physical copy has arrived. However, it has arrived at um, my address where I keep my big finish 200 miles away. So I've seen a photo of it and <laughs> realised what format it was in, but haven't actually had a chance to look inside. So yeah. I'd be interested to know how the cover art for the individual stories is kind of presented. Is it in a, like in a booklet? See, we have the context for your big finish being 200 miles away, but I love the idea that you just have a warehouse somewhere yeah. that's like so big, it can't possibly yeah, be any closer like, to your house. It's yeah. like the warehouse at the end of uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's where you keep all your big finish. Um, it's where you keep all of your uh, Time Lord Victorious. Um, it, just a wardrobe yeah. full of Ryan <laughs> yeah, my, my childhood bedroom is effectively a warehouse for Doctor Who. <laughs> Um, it's it's, however, a it's, it's yeah. also now no longer designated as my bedroom. It's it's the guest room. So any any uh, guests that come to stay at my parents' house do get to sample um, the numerous uh, Doctor <laughs> Who books and CDs if they so choose. Sorry, just just thinking of like uh, an Airbnb type situation where you put that up as an Airbnb listing and you put an access to hundreds of hours of big finish Doctor Who. <laughs> on the listing hoping to fetch a bigger you know higher price from uh, from punters who have that sort of proclivity anyway um what i've noticed is a little one um on the sleeve and on the uh, sort of jewel case uh inserts uh, of 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 this box set do we think there's more Doomsday to come from Big Finish. And and please remember that officially 
uh, under podcasting law, the final story hasn't happened yet. So Doom might be dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> which um, would, which... <laughs> yeah. In response to our question, um, put simply, um, no. Um, <laughs> I would um, lo- love that to, to be the case. Um, however, Big Finish's um, proclivity for putting numbers on box sets to future-proof in case there ever is a future is, is well known. I still have my CD copy of um, Jago and Lightfoot and Strax, which rather optimistically says number one on it <laughs> for that particular um, mini spin-off release that is unlikely to get a sequel anytime soon, I think. Um, so, um, as mentioned, unfortunately, yeah, it's not the individual cardboard sleeves, but the artwork for each um, individual story is printed onto the discs. Uh, which I thought was was a really nice touch. Doesn't mean you can't look at it while the CD is playing, but you know it's it's better than nothing. Um, on that note, shall we move on to uh, the the Howling Wolves of Are we call is it Zanfir? Is that how we're saying this? I think it's Zanfir. Uh, yeah. It is by Simon Clark. Um, also. When the CD arrived, I realised I'd been spelling Clark wrong in my notes. There is no E on that. Um, So, the artwork here... Yeah, for some reason, I can never remember the artwork for this one. Well... Oh, God. I I took, like, two seconds to get the joke. Um... That completely went over my head. I'm glad I was quiet, actually, because it means that the only people who could notice that completely went over my head would be you two on, on video and... If I hadn't exposed myself, no one would have heard that I was just a blank face in response to that obvious joke. Well, but that's uh, that's exactly what the silence does to you, doesn't it? <laughs> so, yes. so we see here two silence and a sort of like robo wolf on its hind legs, and Doom's kind of at the front holding a gun. And yeah, we do get the time, time in the background somewhere. Uh, yes, it's 2200 hours. I'm uh, glad. I'm glad someone's keeping track because yeah. it has genuinely been quite difficult the past few. Yeah, I I think the cover is pretty straightforward. You know, you you can sort of see what this is. You can see that there's gonna be silence in it. I quite like it. For a big finish, it is actually quite minimalist as mm. well. Yeah. I think that's the advantage of doing individual covers for stories is, you know, a box set cover can often be quite maximalist because it's like, yeah. here are all the yeah. characters you've got You're in different me. episodes. But when it's yeah. just for an hour, and I do, I like the colours here. Um, like, it fits with, like, Doom's aesthetic with the kind of purpley tones, but it's a bit more washed out than some others, mm-hmm. which I feel like kind yeah. of, like, fits with the vibe of the story. So... It works well, I think. I mean, yeah, the, the sort of graphic design of these has been has been very good throughout. So, moving on to the story, um, I'm really interested, actually, yeah, to hear both of your, your takes on this, because, like, I'll be honest, it is, like, I just really struggled with it, and I don't know <laughs> if that's because um, I'm not super used to Big Finish, and uh, my autistic ass just thinks that everyone sounds like each other, um, we'll get to it, but at one point I um, thought there was... I, I hadn't realised that another character had joined the story, which uh, was quite confusing. Um, but, yeah, um, again, I am not very used to Big Finish, and Bryn, you have you are much more used to Big Finish, <laughs> as your childhood yes. bedroom can attest to, so... 
Yes, I, I will say now, um, I am much more used to Big Finish, and this was my least favourite of the Doomsday stories, um, largely in, in relation to the reasons um, you've just um, stated. So I don't Okay, not just, just me. <laughs> it's not just you, yeah. So it's an interesting one because it's doing some of the sort of um, obvious tricks you do in a story with the silence of kind of like omitted narrative. And it's obviously meant to be intentionally confusing through that in some points, but I think it does take it too far to the point where coherency is kind of lost. Like it's okay to do that as a trick and confuse someone in a moment, but I think generally speaking, you want to, you know, within a few minutes of co-op and understand what's going on. And I think, um, you know, you could say it's like a flaw in the kind of narrative they're trying to tell, and that could be like kind of inherent to using the silence, but Big Finish have done good audio dramas with the silence before. Like, um, the, I, maybe it's a difference in the format, how they're trying to sort of squeeze it into such a short time frame here, but like the third yeah. um, unit box set with Kate and Osgood unit silenced is a really great example of how you can do like a good silence story on audio. And also having such large sections of omitted narrative in something that's supposed to be taking place over the course of an hour Mm -hmm. and is also about an hour long is particularly confusing because it really feels like the time frame's just stretched here because we hear so much of what Doom's doing but in in real time filling up the hour and yet if there's supposed to also be these huge waves of omitted narrative where it's you know it's been forgotten and so we've skipped to the next scene doom is clearly here for more than an hour and it it frustrates me as just breaking um the format point and Mm -hmm. yeah it's going to be interesting as we kind of get into talking about the story in more detail because i know you'll have taken notes i was i was on my um commute so did not um take notes at a time i took some afterwards of general thoughts but good good luck discussing this without notes (laughs) Um. yeah i i have i have some notes um i found it super confusing myself um, initially, I thought maybe this was down to the silence themselves, but you, I think you can do a good audio silence story. Obviously, not having listened to the one you mentioned, Bryn, I would have thought the silence would really sort of fit a almost like a found recording format more than the sort of more standard thing that they went with here. Um, you know, sort of found footage uh type horror films like uh Blair Witch and uh I think Doctor Who actually attempted this with Sleep No More but the execution of that was mixed. Um I think that would have worked quite well with that and it would have sort of excused some of the confused nature of the narrative. This is much more clearly a you know they're trying to do a more traditional audio drama and the fact that they are having these gaps in narrative and, and points of massive confusion. Um, like, yes, I get why they're doing this, but honestly, when when I was listening to it, I couldn't make much sense of what is actually happening. So let's sort of start at the beginning. Um, Doom is teleported in uh, in the middle of a war zone. Uh, Terry is quite unhelpful with this one. Doom's mission is to assassinate a silent. And what I sort of gathered from, even from like the 
beginning bit of it is that the silent might be behind at least some of the war. Um, so this is quite a long-running war between... The, the, the war that was completely omitted from Doom's Brief. Yes. Uh, she was yes. very surprised to find yes. herself in a war zone. <laughs> that is true, yeah. So, yeah, she uh, she kind of gets mistaken for a mercenary uh, and joins a squad of... Uh, I don't remember what the sides are called. Uh, they are called the... I have no idea if I've spelt it right, but this doesn't matter for the podcast. Uh, the Jiblish are at war with the Melch and have been for centuries. It is worth noting at this point that the army are literal howling wolves. Yes. Um, much needed furry representation. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. And like, actually in my notes here, I've put Jiblish brackets wolves are at war with the Melch. But I think the Melch are also wolves. I think everybody is a wolf, and this is just except different. Except Doom. Except Doom. <laughs> and this is just different nationalities of yes. wolf, basically. Um, yeah, it's a very normal story. Yeah, so uh, some exposition ensues where we learn all of this uh, when, when Doom talks to another soldier, okay. Jepra, as uh, another platoon of, uh, of wolves uh, is fed into, into the wood chipper. Um, as mentioned, they communicate by howling. I, I think it's explained now. I think it, mm. it might be explained later. The sort of howling that they do actually carries quite a lot of information inside of it yeah, to the a- point where it actually overloads the universal translator in Doom's monocle. Yeah, that is explained now. Yeah. yeah. The exact yeah. line is, apparently your howls contain so much data that all I'm getting is mega yowling. <laughs> yeah that is one of the details i liked like i think it it worked in terms of doing kind of world building with these one-off aliens you know having the way they use the how to communicate not only the fact that it carries so much information but like the idea that it can travel these great distances and even kind of through the earth i i liked all those details it kind of fleshed out that species i i think one inspiration for this and uh, this this is a little little digression but um so I am a massive nerd. And really? Yes. You 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 might have uh, you might have I, not I'd necessarily never noticed have guessed. that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, at one point I went to EMF camp, and at EMF camp I encountered this uh, this little known group of like. I think it's like sort of a joke that went a bit too far. Uh, <laughs> it's called holistic howling. Um, it's a group-based howling practice encouraging safe, non-verbal communication through howl circles. Circles are ho- formed ad hoc at festivals and events and through a friendly group using the WhatsApp smartphone app. It's completely free and good for the soul. Philip, Philip did send this round slightly in advance and I was very worried you were about to ask us to howl. <laughs> if you want yeah. to, I, I, I don't um, particularly. I, I I saw I saw the link you sent, and I think you're right to point see but it seems but it seems like a, a a bit of a joke that's maybe gone a bit further because I particularly enjoy the tabs at the top of the website you sent, which is who, what, where, why, and howl instead yes. of as like yeah, that's there's yes. a good sense of humour to that, there's a good <laughs> spirit to that. Um, so thank you for introducing me to that. Um, concept, <laughs> which I, I suppose this story also introduced us to in a, a slightly more science fiction context. But it's good to know that I might one day, if I, if I ever hear howling at a festival, 
it's good to know I don't have to assume anyone's being, you know, murdered or anything, but there might be a better explanation. I mean, uh, that that or, um, you know, I, I also wanted to, uh, I also wanted to shout out the song I'm Fine by Self Esteem, which uh, ends with some howling and that, t- that traditionally the audience join in on. So mm. that's the other explanation, uh, in which case, what are you doing? Get into that crowd and go watch her. Um, yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... Doom kind of befriends platoon leader Jetra, and then Jetra is shot, and Doom has to carry her into a trench of some sort. It's at this point that we get all the exposition. Um, They then uh, meet Trooper Lance, um, and Lance and Jetra are in love, uh, which is not permitted in wartime. Um, And then we kind of have this, like, uh, sort of change of scene, where General Rush is approached by a silent and the silence, I can't remember if they did this actually on the sort of main TV series, but the silence seem to have sort of hypnotizing powers in that they will give you commands mm. and you forget the encounter, but do what they say, yeah. uh, which I guess they do that on the like, you should kill us all on sight thing, but I don't remember it being as big a deal as it is. Yeah, it's kind of like, it, it is a thing in the TV series, but I think it's it's presented differently because we don't usually like hear them giving yeah. commands like that other than a few instances, whereas here it's always very literal, like they tell you exactly what to do and then you do it, whereas with them it is more like the hypnotic suggestion thing of like it being subliminal because... You know, they might suggest something, but you don't remember them suggesting it, but the idea stays in your head. So it's interesting to see how they, I guess it's kind of partly like shorthand for audio. Like, it, you know, it saves some explaining if you've got the silent literally giving like direct commands yeah. and it certainly fits in with the whole. Because they're literally, influence. they're literally called the silence. It's kind of hard to represent <laughs> that in audio. I, um, I did, I did enjoy just going to the interviews for a second. Um, John Ainsworth, who I think, produced or directed the series um mentions that he's not sure if it's silence or silent and i was relieved by that yeah because <laughs> yeah i always thought it was silence with a ce literally until yeah. they mm. finished started doing stories with them and i'd read the press releases for that stories and it would always be ts i think they were introduced as like the silence ce and then when they eventually wrote the rest of that arc and the silence was more like the religion they followed. Yeah. I think that was kind of when it changed. So I'm I'm not sure the TV series is especially. Um, it's yeah. it's almost it's almost like uh, for for parts of that season they were kind of making it up as they went along. How 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 dare you? From 1963, <laughs> this was planned. Um, <laughs> Steve, Stephen Moffat's first words were, "Give me a pen. I need to write this down." <laughs> um, so we return to Lance, Jepra, and Doom as the battle cruiser that Rosh has just been told to order rapidly approaches their location. They flee for some tunnels under the pyramids, uh, which is also approaching Doom's mysterious target. There's a great line that I've written down where Doom says, anything you land say, get it, which was possibly a high point uh, for me. They find themselves in the line of fire and there is just lots of battle noises for a very long time. And it's it's good sound effects, but like it doesn't really advance the story. And it's after this point. uh, Well, it doesn't it doesn't seem to advance the story. 
But it's after this point that my notes start getting very confused because I'm like, <laughs> is Lancey doing this? Does Lancey throw a grenade at the Melchus? Is Lancey hitting on Doom? Wasn't he in love with Jephra? And it turns out that what has happened is a second male character has at some point, I think his name's Vesta, mm. a second male wolf has at some point joined the story. And this is not made clear at all. Yeah. So I assume it's Lancey until like fully halfway through the yeah. story and I don't understand so anything. I, I think um. I think it's it's Vesta that also does not particularly like Doom mm. and mm. thinks that she's uh, an agent for the other side. Um which is, you know, fair enough. Mercenaries, assassins, quite close in the sort of tree of uh or the hierarchy of uh, military units um, in that they do what they do for money and not much else. What I will say is, yeah, this is where stuff gets really confusing because we get some sort of skips in narrative caused by the silence. Um, we get some, you know, we get people turning on each other. We get a lot of, like, friendly fire that's prompted by orders from the silence and i think like if 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 you sort of step back you have to you have to examine this right what do the silence have to gain from making these two sort of nations of 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 wolves fight each other for hundreds of years uh well uh they they want to understand the howls because the howls travel through space and time and could be exploited as a weapon I'm not sure how this is explained. I've just written that down. I assume it's given as exposition. Yeah. But yeah, I'm kind of... It is... I don't know about you, Bryn, but I my notes get very confused at this point. Yeah, my, my, my brain got very confused. I'm sure at the time <laughs> I was listening, I was coming off of like a nine-hour shift and working walking home at one in the morning. And um, maybe that wasn't ideal conditions for listening. But um, yeah. yeah, like you said, the sort of scrambled narrative. And because again, I just... I don't want it to become like, oh, you can't do these, what should be like fairly basic narrative tricks. Like you can't do a slightly complicated story in the science because you definitely can. I just feel like this fails to do it in a way that's coherent. I don't know if it's just, it's too choppy or too many characters yeah. that sound similar as you've said, or just, it just, I don't know. I, I really struggle with it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what also didn't help me is, I don't know if that's the case for the other big Finnish stories involving the silent, but their voices are drowned in so many different effects that <laughs> I found them quite hard to understand. Hmm. Yeah, I think this one does rely on them having like actual dialogue a lot, whereas normally, you know, you can do a story about the silence without the silence really having to say much. It's kind of yeah. inherent in the character idea mm. and you know, if you think about how much they actually say in the TV story they're in, it's 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 very little and compared yeah. to this, yeah. So there's then an exchange with Terry, which helpfully I haven't written any further notes on. No, I don't um, have any notes but on that either. There's an, there's an exchange with Terry. Uh, Doom says Alonzi, which I, I did make a note of that. Yes. And then it is after this point that my notes say things like, oh, hang on, is there another wolf here? Was it not Lance <laughs> that hit on Doom? And then, oh, wait, are the Melch also wolves? Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, Lance goes into tragic backstory 
Um, or I think it's Latse. It might be Retza. Somebody lost their mother in an air mm. raid. Um, you then get some... Again, the howls thing, I think, has done quite well. You then get a howl echo from a century ago, yes. which kind of demonstrates the time travel thing. I mean, there, there, is, there is like a... There, there is quite a poignant moment where we have a howl that sort of represents lament. It's a, it's a special kind of howl that sort of reverberates through the core of the planet. And this is kind of what the silence are trying to replicate. And this is also what the silence will try to use to, to trick different uh, units of, of wolves to reveal their locations uh, by responding to the howl and carrying it on. Um, I like the sort of note of, you know, climbing on, on a pile of corpses to get a better vantage point. I think that does make for a very realistic sort of war story. You, you do get corpse architecture used in, in real world wars because war is a horrible place to be in, right? And if you can use anything, even the bodies of your fallen comrades to, to gain an advantage over the enemy, you have to do it. I'm, I'm, that's very powerful on everything, but I'm pretty sure I missed that scene entirely. <laughs> I simply have no notes or recollection of it. Um, yeah. So um, um, we then get to Doom is somehow ends up speaking. Again, there's a lot of narrative skips and things that are sort of acknowledged, but are acknowledged more towards the end because obviously they don't know what's going on yeah. either. Doom is speaking to, I've got a deeper voiced wolf brackets the general rush um <laughs> but she's she's threatened with execu execution um and escapes with a cloaking device um again i've got here like i see what they're trying to do with them all forgetting events but it's not really suitable for an audio of new characters yeah like we barely know them to yeah. begin with i think if it was you know more familiar characters where we knew who all the voices were I don't know if that might have helped. Yeah, that is actually a good point, again, in, in comparison with uh, like the unit box set that has for silence, because I didn't even think of that. But yeah, in the unit box set, it's it's the third box set. So as well as the fact you've got Kate and Osgood, you've got the side characters have all kind of been previously established as well, which mm -hmm. really helps. And yeah. they are quite distinctive because um, we've got people of different ages and um, nationalities there, like making up those side characters, which here... Um, like I get the sense that one of the male wolves does is kind of coded as, as as older, and that does come across. But like, it's still a lot to kind of keep track of, and if it's not actors you're kind of familiar with. Yeah, in all of that, there's a couple of confusing moments where, yeah, uh, Doom escapes being nearly executed. Um, we do finally get a confirmation that the Silence are looking for sort of ways to uh, to combat the Doctor. And the howl is supposed to be one of those things. Um, then Doom nearly dies again because Jepra shoots at someone behind Doom. And there's a shockwave that knocks Doom unconscious for an indeterminate amount of time. And again, I kind of, it was not clear at that point, like whether that was a deliberate shot or whether I think it is later established he's trying to kill a melt behind her. But Doom 
is being blamed, particularly by Vesta, for all of these yeah. weird orders. Basically, Doom arrives, um, and you know she does actually make the wolves shoot through into the old mortuary, thinking it will be an escape. But has been, you know, she herself is being led by yeah. the silence. There's a really interesting point here. Um, again, because you know the silence are basically trying to defeat the Doctor. Doom thinks, you know, she's hopeful that basically her suffering will lure the Doctor here and then that's why the Silence are interfering particularly with her and the group that she's with, which is a bit of a stretch considering <laughs> it's established at this point that they've been manipulating these wolves for a century. Yeah. Um, uh, I, again, I Doom a... not a nice person. Yeah, well, I also have a, I also have a nice, uh, nice quote here. For, for all I know, we have been made to betray each other and then had our memory wiped. Um, <laughs> and I just wrote down here, just another day at the Conservative Party HQ. <laughs> Uh, there's also, um, I think Doom at one point in this mess is reunited with her weapon and says, I missed you, Gunny, which <laughs> I thought we absolutely had to acknowledge. Yes. Yeah, it's also mentioned Doom's monocle has an image log, which is how they eventually discover what's going on with the silence. She says, the monocle logs the people I've killed, nearest thing I have to a conscience. Again, um, and you talked about this, Bryn, a little bit in the previous episode, uh, Big Finish used Doom's tech really well. Yeah. Vetsa kind of plans to kill Doom and Doom realises immediately. Uh, they then accuse Jepra for some reason. I've then got, Vetsa may have been shot, question mark. <laughs> uh, quote, we grieve later. What the hap is fuckening? Yeah. Um, Bryn, Bryn, <laughs> what, what, in your opinion, the hap is fuckening? <laughs> I was yeah, I'm I'm pretty lost in in the story by this point. Yeah. Men, things do keep happening, and there's 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 dialogue and action. Yeah, and yeah, there there, there are there are things. Eventually, I think maybe it's now, maybe it's slightly later, but yeah, they're they're in a sort of clapped out cruiser. Uh, they're trying to get to Doom's target. Uh, there's also just a bit of exposition before that. Yeah. Um, at one point. I fully have have not written in any context. And at one point, there was a noise cancelling howl, yes. which they used to mm. kind of yeah, so, not not be able to hear the silence. So they're they're basically they're basically able to counter uh, the silence sort of subliminal suggestion powers by uh, by getting the the wolves to howl at a particular frequency to counteract that effect. It's also um, revealed at this point that the Silence actually really are trying to torture Doom to lure the Doctor in because her destiny is entwined with it. Silence, big Doomsday fans. Yeah. Clearly think she's a yeah. very important they character. They've all the comics. Um. Yeah. They, they're, they're top of the leaderboard on the phone game. Yeah. Um, a couple of quotes that I noted down from roughly about this section. The Doctor is a consummate defeater of evil. Um <laughs> Yep, they are. And uh, this, the silence want your howl to silence the doctor, which, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of the final bit of motivation of why, why the silence have been sort of playing those two sides against each other for, for hundreds of years. Um, they're, they're trying to, I guess, counteract um, anything and everything that the doctor might say. There's also yeah. um, from Doom. Like, to the absent doctor, if you'd heard my brilliant deduction, you'd be here in a heartbeat. Um, mm -hmm. They find 
Um, so basically, the target, Dooms' target, is Shalak, who is the leader of the Silent Son Sanfir. And the first Silent I've ever known to be named. Um, is that quite common in, in the Big Finish one? I, I would say that's they... completely not common. Yeah. Like, I think they are generally treated as like a, you know, a mass yeah. collective. Thing. Yeah. And somebody, I'm not sure if this is Doom or one of the wolves, um, says, my instinct tells me that's Chalak's escape pod, i.e. we ran out of time to finish the story. <laughs> uh, yes. So, is that her previous yeah. brilliant deduction? Yeah. It's now my instinct tells me. Yes. Exactly. Um, and my next, my next note on here just says... Om nom nom silent. Yeah, because um, it it is it is actually Jepra that makes a final kill on on this one. I I don't know how that gets Doom to to be able to claim success on this, but I guess she does. Um, and, and we get a nice uh, nice little uh, moniker, Doom Maker of Peace. <laughs> Um, there's an interesting use of the TARDIS noise where Doom thinks she can hear the TARDIS, but it's actually some really specific distortion of wolf victory cries, yeah. which is a really good way of making the audience think that maybe they're actually going to get some Doctor Who in this Doctor Who story. <laughs> uh, but no, you have to wait another, like, five minutes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um... uh, Lance and Jepra uh, get married. Doom can't stay for the wedding, obviously. Yeah. Um, and she says, be good to each other. Bye. Which I, I quite liked. I do like Sue. Sue's wins with the bye. Like it's very, uh, it's good. Yes, very mm. much so. So, um, in looking at the interviews um, for this, there's a bit of discussion about uh, Terry and the kind of office relic persona. Yes, and uh, the uh, Doom Terry relationship. Uh, the fact that they do kind of need each other and have really great rapport. Um, this is exactly why they shouldn't have left Big Finish to the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there's also mention, uh, you know, there's some discussion about uh, Terry's accent, which we talked about in the previous episode. Choices were made. Yeah, <laughs> by Suze Kempner, yeah. mainly. Um, it is also mentioned that this kind of silence hierarchy and there being like a leader, that's new for this story. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, th- I also think that... Um... One of the characters, one of the wolf characters, uh, was described as if Han Solo and Chewbacca had a baby. And n- no, do not put this image into my head. <laughs> this is going to get like I, I think honestly, this was already a uh, a fan image that you could find on yeah. on uh, Deviant Art or somewhere else. I'm happy to just believe you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to research that. Accept it, Philip. Like people have been been there for like forty years or more. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah. <laughs> so uh final thoughts on the uh howling wolves or what's what's the title the howling wolves of xanthir it's, it's the battle of radio for extra of uh, of doomsday <laughs> that is a perfect description there's a, certainly a lot of things that happen and you know i do think there's like some reasonably decent ideas in there like i i like that you know like the the, the resolution of using the wolves' howls to cancel yeah. out the silence, like when the howls have been set up as being so important throughout the story, you know, that all works as like a, a payoff. There's just so much stuff going on in between yeah. that doesn't work. And yeah. I think it was too long. Mm. I think it was it was really, really padded out by sort of various bits and sequences that would have been actually more effective if if this was, say, a half an hour or a 45 minute story yeah i think in general like 
I see what Big Finish have tried to do with the hour real time thing. I think that is better executed in some stories than others. Dawn of an Everlasting Peace actually, I think, did it really well. Mm. But my general impression of this set, especially after the BBC audios, was these stories did not, as a rule, need to be an hour long. Yeah. And it's interesting because, like, normally a real time format, it's like, oh, we've got, you know, it's like a ticking clock. We've got to do this stuff so so quickly. And although there's, like, references to the fact that she's only got an hour, there's never, even in Dawn of Everlasting Peace, which I agree does it quite well, there's never that feeling of, like, rushing and pace. You know, it's, it's not 24. It's not, like, yeah. having to run down the corridor, like, right at the last minute to do something. Just, you know, it's, like, Doom always gets a chance to finish the story, have a little mm-hmm. chat with the people in the story and say, oh, well, I can't hang around, but, you know, that's good that we got to have this coda on top of resolution. It's never like, oh, I've resolved a plot and I instantly have to go because the time's run <laughs> yeah. out. But it's yeah. never that sense of urgency really never translates. Mm-hmm. 24 has come up quite a lot in some of the kind of interviews, uh, in more generally around Doomsday, um, I guess as an obvious comparator. I think there are elements of Doomsday that do that quite well, in particular the Extraction Point novel. Yes. Um, but yeah, in in this set, you don't... Yeah, As you say, it's like she always has a chance to chat to Terry. <laughs> There's a format that she has to fill, right? Yeah. And, and always, she always has time to do it. Um, now, shall we talk about the final uh, episode, uh, which has a doctor in it? Uh, always nice to see. Mm, it does. Um, it has the best doctor in it. Um, <laughs> can you tell I was very excited for this when, when this box set was announced, especially when I knew I was going to get to talk about it. Yes, it has Eighth Doctor and companion Charlotte Pollard, or Charlie for short. Yeah. So looking at uh, the art, uh, the crowd is by Lizzie Hopley. Um, again, actually, you do have the time in here. Yes. Uh, you have the 2300 hours. Um, this is a local story. Yes, it's it's, it, uh, it's up in Canterbury. Yep. Um, this takes place just down the road from us. Yeah. Um, oh, and several hundred years ago. Now, sadly, <laughs> we we were not able to actually visit the Canterbury Cathedral this year yet because uh, it's it, both times uh, we went to Canterbury, uh, it was closed for refurbishment. I think my understanding is the Canterbury Cathedral this is set in is not the one that's standing today. Yeah. I think that's, I, I think that's mentioned in I the... Think, I think it, um, it's the earlier one. The, the new one has obviously been sort of rebuilt. So you see, uh, you see Doom in action. You see uh, the Eighth Doctor in kind of night getup. And you see, again, I'm not super familiar with Big Finish, but I assume that is Charlie Yeah. Um, yeah. behind him. Um, so again, in kind of medieval getup. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I certainly enjoyed this one a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting just looking at the cover. Obviously, the Eighth Doctor is in this, like, medieval knight's um, gear. And I must admit, what, what, what I did make me feel particularly dense when I listened to the story and saw that cover is that on the main cover of the whole box set, I'd thought that the Eighth Doctor was in some kind of, like, steampunk... Um, astronaut <laughs> um, like space suit oh, we should have had that like, story oh, no, it's, uh... we should have had that story instead of howling wolves well, so doom kind of arrives at canterbury cathedral before it gets torn down and rebuilt into what we know today i think terry provides some of that uh exposition doom is assigned to kill the crowd 
off yeah. of the title. So the reason she chooses that mission is that uh, there's Artron energy in the cathedral, mm-hmm. um, and Doom believes that uh, this is going to lead her to a doctor, at least, if not the one that she's actually looking for. And the crowd is, at least in Doom's brief, 20 distinct persons, 20, entities. 20 sort of humanoids. Yeah. I like the um, escalation here, you know, because this is effectively basically like the climax of Doomsday, mm. the whole series before we get the resolution in the final short story. So to have Doom's final target be targets, plural, and yeah. quite yeah. a lot of them is a nice kind of, it makes it feel sort of bigger. So in Terry's brief, the crowd are 20 sort of humanoids. They have a talent for going unnoticed. They are associated with uh, quote-unquote disasters around Doyle. So it's got this kind of, I guess, activist spin. And also, there might be some other stuff happening at the cathedral tonight. Yeah. That other stuff being the assassination of Thomas Beckett. Yes. Um, Doom kind of immediately uh, changes her holosuit to to give her a more medieval sort of appearance. Uh, she's uh, dressed as a knight, I believe. Yeah. Hmm. A shame we couldn't have got that on the cover. Yeah. I guess again that would be fun. they have they had one shoot with Suze Kemper. Yes. yes. I think she's in the same <laughs> costume all the way yeah. around. Um so yeah, she kind of goes into the cathedral, confronts this priest who essentially turns out to be Charlie, I yes. think. Um who all, then calls all out no- to a doctor. Yeah, all my notes say here is whatever you're about to do, don't Oh I, I have that down. <laughs> I have that down and I don't have any context for it. Bryn, any ideas? Does does Charlie say that to Doom? I'm trying to remember. I think so. Yeah. I, I think did like so. the detail of Charlie here. Um, Charlie's great. I love Charlie. Because um, it's very much, I don't know how familiar you guys are, I don't know who's in them, but it's like, it's very much a thing in a lot of Charlotte Pollard stories where she impersonates um, or goes in disguise often as, as male um, characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's how the Doctor first finds her like sneaking on to um VR 101 impersonating a male member of staff so yes. that kind of was a nice kind of callback to that mm-hmm. I suppose it reminds me like with that context it reminds me a little bit of how like I think you've mentioned we've been watching a lot of like Pertwee and Delgado era mm. Doctor Who mm. and there's a real theme of like oh there's some mysterious villain behind this <laughs> oh he's he's called Mr. Magister or Mis- something yeah, like that uh, yeah Ma- Master Master McMasterson <laughs> and oh look it's the master so it kind, it kind of reminds you a little bit of that yeah. in yeah, in tone yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah so Thomas Beckett is in the middle of being killed uh the crowd are in the shadows making more various evil noises and I just got more fight noises. One of the knights is Paul McGann question mark. Yep. Brackets audio is confusing. Um so and, and then Doom is EP. Yes, again. Doom is stunned, she <laughs> awakens, she accosts the hissing crowd member. Um there's a quote here. I I think this is about the crowd, I'm not sure, but it just says they think being literal makes them interesting, like people who call their dog, dog. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think the hissing crowd member, is that the one referred to, she just refers to as shabby the whole time? Possibly, or is that the next one? yeah. I, I, do, I do like the concept of the crowd. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's something out of like, I don't know if you've ever listened to, to the series The Magnus Archives. Um, it sounds like something out of that universe where it's like, 
this sort of really creepy thing of like, you know, half urban legend, half just genuine horror story element that you can use with pretty much anything. Very cool concept for a Doctor Who monster. Um, I wondered if this was based on some kind of a lost classic story as well, but I think this might be an original thing. Mm. Yeah, it definitely feels original, yeah. Yeah. I I do have, and we'll get later into a little bit about the motivations of the crowd, so we'll probably Mm. get a better chance to discuss it then, but um, it is something that I would like to see you know, I think it is something that the TV series could pick up and it's probably, of everything that's happened in Doomsday, probably the, the easiest original thing to then yeah. to port into something else. So, Or even more Big Finish, let's face it. Yeah, well, it will be used in more Big Finish. Yes. We know that for a fact. There is an <laughs> infinite stories. amount of... There is, <laughs> they do. There's an infinite amount of Big Finish and they will eventually come back to this. Yes. <laughs> um, so there's another crowd member... Uh, who has an, a mysterious electric stick. Doom basically offers the crowd member their life in exchange for being led to the doctor. So uh, the crowd member gets her to this pub and then obviously she was lying. Uh, yeah. So she she um, she kills them. She then says seven down, 13 to go. And I'm like, oh, she must have killed six in that other battle. Yes. Which she did, that is referenced yeah, again yeah, later yeah. on. But like, um, it's just, I suppose it would have been hard for them to get the killings of 20 people into an hour but yeah, i think i think yeah i think that that was the bit where she runs into the crowd and just starts blasting there there is a bit where she steals a horse um you're right when i said woman but i'm no lady <laughs> iconic i think this is a nice sort of dovetail to uh i thought you were a nice lady in uh dawn of the everlasting peace oh yeah mm. And then death is here, somehow. We don't know if that's the actual death that's stalking Doom, but uh, death is here. Mm. I I read that, I think, as more metaphorical. Um, so I think Doom says something like, you're here, the place reeks of death. Um, she could be talking to a literal death figure, certainly. Um, and again, I think we've discussed yeah. this previously. The early comics and mm. the early Doomsday and the trailers talk about death as a sort of literal yes. Terry Pratchett-style entity. Yeah. And then there's just it just gets completely dropped at some point, which which is a shame. Yeah. Um, I guess it's particularly hard to do in audio, unless you do want to give death a voice suddenly. Um, but yeah, Doom ends up in this pub. Um, she steals a horse. She goes to the tavern. She poses as a quote-unquote tavern wrench to serve as I put here, uh, the doctor or, or a crowd leader? Mm-hmm. Why does everyone sound the same? Uh, <laughs> but it is the doctor. Yes. Um, and Charlie is there and Charlie is not keen on Doom because Doom has kind of ruined their mission. Yeah, so this is, this is again, a sort of thing where we, we got a sort of normal person morality point of view on Doom from, from Jackie Tyler and now we're getting the doctor and or companion... Uh, point of view uh, from from uh, eight and Charlie. What is interesting about this? Because Doom's all you're not the Doctor. Like clearly, this Doom, she basically doesn't understand how the Doctor can look like Paul McGann. Yeah. So she doesn't know about regeneration potentially, or at least she doesn't know about all the Doctor's faces. Um, in fact, it's mentioned that she almost unintentionally killed the Doctor yeah. in the earlier battle. So. 
isn't it great when um, when commercial partners talk to each other? <laughs> She's already met several Doctor yes. Faces at this yeah. point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's plausible that she has like gaps in in her Doctor database. She never saw the TV movie, you know. Yeah, she's a yeah. BBC purist. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, maybe she's so purist that she hasn't even seen the previous editions of Doomsday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, the Doctor neutralizes Doom's blaster mm-hmm. um, and it it emerges that essentially the crowd is one life form. They're drawn to acutely negative psychological experiences and they're there to watch basically every tragic event. Um, Doom describes it at one point as a personalized disaster feed, mm. um, which I so, think that's Twitter. a scroll. Um, so the it's, person- it's a literal Doom scroll. Yes. So the personalized disaster feed is a a literal scroll that somebody yes. had. So I think I think that is the joke. Um, but they're running out of events to feed on, so they're making more of them. And as Charlie puts it, what's their interest in doom? I just heard what I said, um, which I think is a great line. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So again, th- there is a line sort of later on uh, where someone from the crowd, some some appendage person from the crowd says that death follows you and yeah i think it is a little bit open to interpretation well um the following line doom says to the crowd you can see death which implies that this doom can't see death yeah again i love it when commercial partners talk to each other Mm -hmm. um but yeah the doctor and charlie then kind of show up the magic sticks referred to earlier are temporal staffs. Um, the doctor basically learns that one of the crowd is already dead and that actually seven of them are dead and that Doom killed them. And he does not take kindly to this. Um, the actual quote is, I don't like you. I don't like the way you talk. I don't like what you are. Whichever one of me you're after won't like you either. Trust me. This is a really deep explanation of the, like, Doom is not a good person. No, no, she's theme. not. Uh, the scroll is the, yeah, it's a disaster feed. It's a temporal scroll. It's the future as the crowd wants it. So again, like I, I mentioned this earlier, I think it is a really good villain concept. And it's kind of a shame that it's been used in this, like, not especially popular series. Mm. Do you reckon? Do you reckon we'll see it again? I don't know. It's the sort of thing Big Finish do do a lot of one-offs, and usually if it does return, it's because the writer who wrote that story happens to pull it. And obviously, with Big Finish writers who write so frequently for Big Finish, you can mm-hmm. sort of understand why sometimes they might pull on something they've already created previously as a quick mm-hmm. um, fit for a story. So whether Lizzie Hopley would do that would be interesting she's certainly someone who writes for big finish frequently so i could see it i, I was going i was going to ask because it's not it's not a name that was familiar but yeah. um yeah, yeah. No, she's not like one of these like every single month but like she's um over the last few years she's written quite a lot of and, and good stuff as well really good stuff mm. um, so basically doom uses this to kind of bully the doctor and charlie into helping her because she's like if you don't help me stop them you're complicit yeah. in all of this stuff and i, I think want to happen i think it is at this point where everything goes a bit wrong because the pub blows up yes <laughs> uh while our main characters are underneath it. Yes. Um, so they do They do get out. Uh, the tavern is on fire. 
and there's a big crowd and it becomes clear at this point that while there are 20 crowd members in Terry's database, we actually don't know how many there are. It's clear that that's not the full the yeah. full set. And of course, in medieval England at night, there's lots of people holding weird sticks. Exactly. Um, they take Charlie at this yeah, point. the crowd take Charlie. And Doom wants to fire indiscriminately into the crowd, which again... Not the, a good the person. Doctor, the doctor doesn't like this, and understandably so. Yeah, I, I like how hard the Doctor comes down on Doom here. Maybe it's because some of the stories I've heard have only had very small interactions between the Doctor and Doom, or it's just, it's, you know, it's not my books. But here, it's, it, you know, the premise, the pitch for the story is the Doctor and Doom have a story where they actually properly meet, and it's full cast, and you hear them interact with each other over the course of an hour. And I like that in that story, they're not afraid to have the Doctor utterly condemn the protagonist of the story mm, we've been yeah. following for yeah. 24 hours. I, I would say most of Doom's interactions uh, with Doctors have been fairly minimal, um, with a couple of exceptions. I would say in the novel, it's a bit more involved. There's also the final BBC audio story that has 12 in it, and 12 yeah. is kind of in the story for a bit of a long time. Though it is kind of, again, because commercial partners aren't talking to each other, it's quite fuzzy, but basically it becomes apparent at the end of that that the 12th Doctor doesn't actually remember Doom He's just mm. sort of pretending um, and he doesn't like what he hears, but he doesn't actually remember yeah. previously. Obviously in the novel, like it's implied that like, oh, they met a long time ago, but obviously Doom has met nine and eight. So I think it's just a case of like, yeah, partners not talking to each other. I would say though that while a lot of doctors have been vaguely disapproving and I can't help you, this is definitely the hardest it goes and it, it works so well. Yeah. I think some of it's because you've got the performance behind it, isn't it? So you've got mm. Paul McGann's kind of yeah. playing that indignant outrage, which, you know, any actor who plays the Doctor is good at playing, but I think yeah. Paul McGann is particularly good at playing and that really comes across here. Because he's absolutely horrified that he basically has to work with Doom, otherwise he's not getting Charlie back. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he's he's very much not convinced up until this point that Charlie is taken. And again, it's very reluctant. He's very much forced his hand and it's interesting because this is quite early, like Eighth Doctor as well, in terms of Big Finish timeline. So okay. like, mm -hmm. it'd be interesting to see whether, like, you know, the Time War version of the Eighth Doctor would have a slightly different reaction to Doom, whether he'd be slightly more pragmatic. I think he'd still be against it, but with the things he's seen and the things he's yeah. been through, he'd have a different reaction. Yeah. Whereas here, it's very early days. So That's interesting. So, yeah, the Doctor kind of reluctantly has to work with Doom. They go back to the Cathedral... Uh, which at this point is surrounded by the first pilgrims of Thomas Beckett. The Doctor, sorry, berates yeah. Doom for, like, messing with history because obviously Doom has been killing people who are part of this historical event and that has yes. implications. However, Doom also notices that the crowd or figures from the crowds are sort of woven into the tapestries and stained glass in the cathedral on the Stations of the Cross. They're also like in some of the sculpture work in, in the crypt below the cathedral later on. There's also a great quote from Doom here. Look, I am an agent of chaos. She is, it's, you know. It's a mood, it's a mood. <laughs> so they, they go to the crypt. Doom finds the TARDIS. She gets all giggly at the TARDIS. She wants in. The doctor says a blanket no. And I suspect she won't like you either. <laughs> Doom gets in because, of course, she does. Suitable shiny music and odd noises. Now, 
Does that technically make Doom a companion? The TARDIS doesn't move, does it? Don't think it I does. I don't think so. She yeah. doesn't go on a journey in the mm. TARDIS. I mean, I assume, Vin, with the amount of extended media you, you've done, this definition is very, very stretched by now anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's if you count anyone who's ever travelled anywhere in the TARDIS or ever been inside the TARDIS as a companion, I mean, for a start, even just on television, the Fifth Doctor mm. era... People are coming inside the TARDIS all the blooming time. It's like an open house. Um, but yeah, especially with um, big finish and expanded media. Yeah, there's a lot a lot of companions and a lot of... Are they companions or are they not? Um, and I think mm-hmm. we can probably say that Doom is 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 not quite in the companion category. And um, But who, who knows what big finish could do in the future. Yeah. I also really like, um, because obviously it becomes apparent at this point that Doom is travelling by Vortex Manipulator, which the Doctor describes as, all together now, cheap and nasty time travel. Yeah. Um, yes, which I, I like that reference. Now, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at this point he actually recognises her as, like, Doom, that mm. he, rec- he realised that he's met her before. Yes. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, he seems to recognise her from being the first Doctor. And yeah. Being mm-hmm. her. So that that is ref- referred to. Um, essentially, it also emerges at this point that the scrolls, uh, Doom has actually taken a Doom scroll off of the crowd. Yes. And that they're temporally linked. The crowd want it back. This is why they've taken Charlie. The Doctor, on recognising Doom, um, actively compares her to the crowd Yeah. Uh, in terms of feeding off misery and so on. The crowd, meanwhile, have they have Charlie and they're comparing themselves to the Doctor uh, because the Doctor is also present at a lot of really bad apocalyptic events. Mm. It's at this point in proceedings that I have to go to my second notes because I tried to take my notes from all the stories <laughs> on one file and at this point I ran out of characters. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we sort of cut to uh, Charlie's perspective. She's, she's in with the crowd. She's being held hostage. Um... And they, the crowd actually say, the Doctor, he is like us, present at the worst times. So you sort of get the uh, the persona of, of the Doctor who comes in, you know, people's time of need. But you also get the persona of, of you know, rubberneckers feeding off the ensuing disaster as well. I think that is quite a quite a sort of clever juxtaposition of uh, of these two characters. Yeah, Charlie kind of realises that death and destruction feeds the crowd and they want Doom because, you know, she brings death. The fact that Doom has been hired to kill them does not change their view on this. But Charlie, um, she remembers what she learned in Cognitive Behavioural Therapy (laughs) on NHSI Act and she simply refuses to be afraid. (laughs) Well, you 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 don't know that this has been this has been learned through IF. Maybe she's really into Dune. Possibly <laughs> that that would probably give her less psychic damage. <laughs> um, basically, it emerges that the crowd want the Doctor to come here so that they can steal the TARDIS, which is a bit odd because clearly they can already travel in time. So I think the the way it works is that the the temporal staffs they have is a fairly short range teleport both in space and time whereas with the TARDIS they could travel to anywhere and any time and the Doctor wants to create a time leap uh, to trap them uh, which will also trap I think himself and Doom 
At which point, Doom suddenly decides she wants to develop her conscience. <laughs> she becomes very emotional. She promises to give up the assassin job if the doctor will take her to the right doctor, the old guy, uh, which she appears to agree to at this point after they mm. get Charlie, um, which they, they do very quickly. Which is sort of like, she sort of goes back on a little bit. What Doom actually ends up doing to deal with the crowd is that she pulls them into the same pub that the crowd has uh, has blown up. Therefore, mm. she ends up arranging it so that the, the crowd blow themselves up in the pub. There's a great scene where basically Doom is it's run off into the TARDIS while the Doctor and Charlie are having all of these like dramatic arguments with yes. the villain. And it turns out that she's, yeah, she's gone behind their back. Charlie says there were people in the tavern to which Doom says they weren't people, babes. The Doctor and Charlie are not best pleased by this, and it is at this point that the Doctor calls off their previous deal. Doom, again, kind of begs for her life, frames it as, like, the Doctor is killing her, effectively, if he doesn't take her to where she needs to be. And actually, Charlie, at this point, intervenes, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, what what did you make of, like, the Doom-Charlie relationship? Yeah, it makes sense for her to be kind of a little bit shocked by the Doctor's being so harsh to Doom, like Charlie clearly mm-hmm. dislikes Doom, doesn't like what she's doing, but is kind of still surprised to see the Doctor being so kind of harsh. And so, yeah, it kind of makes sense. It's, it's kind of that classic thing we get a lot in the modern series, Doctor Who, where, you know, the companion has to be the person to pull the Doctor back slightly and has to be kind of the moral centre if he seems like he's getting a bit too intense. And that's certainly something that was kind of, you know, the Eighth Doctor and Charlie had that modern Doctor Who Doctor companion dynamic before modern Doctor Who existed, and it's nice to kind of see. I think see that here mm. is realistic and fits how those characters are portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, another point here: so the Doctor, the Eighth Doctor, does remember her from his first incarnation. Yeah. That is said explicitly, and he always knew that he would send her. We get a, we get a hint actually at final hour here. He mm. sends her back to New Venice, and he sort of said like, "Yeah, he because he remembers her." From the yeah. first time, he always knew that that would happen, which is interesting because, again, in the novel, the Ninth Doctor, which is, well, actually two regenerations later... Sort of um, barely already, remembers her, yeah. Well, he's already, he's already forgotten her. Yeah. So, again, it's brilliant that the commercial partners were all talking to each other. Um, there's a brilliant line here from the Doctor. No one has ever had to beg for their life for me and no one ever will. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's lots of lots of... Big, big moralizing. But it's um, also it's also like quite clear that Doom would do anything to to sort of extract information uh, that that would lead to her continued survival. Again, she's not a good person. She uses people, uh, and she has she has definitely used the Eighth Doctor to get to uh, to the first. Mm. And I like as well that while the Eighth Doctor is kind of talking about and remembering the First Doctor. Um, you know, there's a bit where he says to Doom, um, please refrain from calling me Doc, which is like yeah, a I very direct down. callback to, you know, the first Doctor. Uh, I think the exact phrasing of the line might be the version that Richard Herndall delivers in The Five Doctors, but it's also something, mm-hmm. you know, that you hear the first Doctor saying to Stephen Taylor, and I think probably the first time he says it is to one of the 
um, civilians in the Dalek Invasion of Earth, where he basically mm-hmm. like ki- kindly refrains from calling me Doc. Um, so I like, love the idea that while the Eighth Doctor is thinking about the First Doctor, that's kind of almost mm-hmm. unlocking a bit in his brain where he sort of ends up accidentally subconsciously channeling him. And obviously it makes sense, but in this case it's less an objection to determine more to Doom being overly familiar when he does not like Doom. So we get like this nice, um, it loops basically directly into final hour which i wasn't expecting again there hasn't been a lot of commercial partners talking to each other so the fact that the final short story is trailed in quite a specific way yeah Mm. do we want to go through the interviews suze kempler talks a little bit about character development and uh, like her character development and the fact that she's kind of looking out for charlie which i'm not sure i see that um really in what's yeah. happened i feel like this is doom at her most ruthless the suggestion mm-hmm. there's any kind of character development between like our one and now mm. would kind of require communication between corporate partners and like you know yes. require a lot more planning and it's like i think doom's probably at her most brutal in like the titan comics and i guess that's maybe like in the first half and maybe there's something you could sort of retrospectively put onto it but i don't think it's intentional or or that clearly present well i i think what this made me think of is obviously yeah there isn't a ton of development between commercial partners because that would require them to talk to each other but across the big finish Mm. i think you do see doom get more and more desperate to the point here where again i think she's almost at her worst yeah in Mm. this story because she knows she has an hour to live so i quite like i quite like that aspect of it we also get a Small tidbit of information about how and when this was recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a combination of the y- unique way that my brain prioritizes what is important and the fact that Paul <laughs> McGann makes an offhand comment about the weather, um, which essentially um, pinpoints this. Either it was recorded in June or it was recorded the week before it came out. So probably <laughs> June, yes. Um, yes. which does track with Doctor Who magazine uh, in the June uh, DWM with the interview with Suze Kempner. She sort of mentions that she's started recording, but she's also still getting scripts through. So yeah. I think maybe she'd done the BBC audio and not the uh, the big finish yet. Again, kind of interesting at this late stage to hear a little bit more about the process and about... Because it has definitely felt quite rushed at times. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily the big finish, but others... Yeah, other yeah, other it's, bits. It's, yeah. it's quite nice to have like a big finished box set come out like a few months after it's been recorded, as opposed to like four years or whatever it is. <laughs> some big finished ranges, but yeah, so I wasn't sure what the lead-in time was. Yeah, um, like it's so... nice that doing something like this multimedia kind of forces big finish to actually release something that they've recorded in a reasonable time frame. And sort of like recording actually... it in order as well, mm. which is not typically mm. what you would do in in uh, in TV and audio. Um, which actually like. I thought, oh, it must have been recorded a few months ago. That's actually not that rushed. But actually, now that you've said that, maybe it is quite rushed by Big Finish standards. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's interesting. In Big fin- it's just because they like get Tom Baker in a room for a few weeks and then suddenly have five years of audio dramas to edit and slowly release. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's also a mention as well. I can't remember if this was Paul McGann. Um they talk about their collaboration with like, you know, BBC um, and that they were given basically as many details as they needed, but they were not told what happens in Doom's final hour 
No. Um, which kind of, there was a suggestion in the DWM interviews that partners were told and were not allowed to mention it. But yeah. maybe that depends. Maybe what was meant by that was you're told she's going back to New Venice. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting. I, which, which makes me wonder, did... did... Goss himself know what was going to happen in the final hour. <laughs> kind of hour. what I was thinking. I'm, I'm sure you'll get into that when you discuss the final <laughs> yeah. hour in the second podcast. But I was like, did he Did he know? Did anyone know? You know, when you're like, oh, we didn't tell the corporate partners. Did, did you not tell them or did you not know? But, uh. I mean, I definitely get the impression that, again, we can get onto this next time. But, like, because the first and last sort of stories go quite well together... And not a lot of actual plot development happens in the meantime. Yeah. Like, I sort of got the impression that maybe that was written first and then was like, corporate partners, here are your brief. Here, please don't talk to each other. Um, <laughs> what What is Doom's gender? No, that's too much information. <laughs> no. Um, like, yeah. Um, so yeah. Do you know what, though? I think I was, uh, I was a bit harsher on on the on the story when i initially listened to it and it's sort of grown on me because initially i wrote that maybe a lot of the conflict between ain't and doom is is a bit overdone and sort of almost inserted as padding to to keep to the real-time format but i think yeah it is actually quite quite a good bit of character drama um as well and it doesn't it doesn't subtract anything from the yeah. story by being there i can see how you'd get to that point because it is a little repetitive in places I yeah think. Mm-hmm. And, like there's obviously multiple scenes going on it but i think it still you know works and it's, it's entertaining actors to hear do it absolutely yeah. and then finally uh what, what i what i realized uh after after listening to all the explosions yes this is a jamie anderson script <laughs> well J- jamie anderson as in Jamie Anderson, yeah, yes. he's he's credited as script oh. editor for this. Yes, yes. I mean, so whenever we hear explosives and we joke that it's a Jerry Anderson show, it it's sort of is yeah, it's sort about of as is. close as it can possibly be. <laughs> yeah, he does so much big finish stuff like sound design and stuff as well. Yeah, well, well spotted. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fi- final thoughts on the crowds. It's a good it's a good story. I think it's definitely like, you know. Like you say, the crowd are like an interesting like one-off villain. I think this story does get a lot of its like good grace from the fact that it has the eighth Doctor and Charlie, like which is obviously yeah. kind of it's what we get from these multimedia kind of tiny things. It's like here are characters you like, and then that's like yay, exciting. And yeah, yeah, I think the story works, and I think it has an energy, and I think you know having those great characters there really kind of does. So so Bryn, it. do you think this is a good jumping-on point for? <laughs> Uh, eight Doctor and Charlie adventures on Big Finish, or do you think maybe a good jumping on point would be the free stuff that's available on Spotify right now? I genuinely thought that was going to be a question. I laughed because I genuinely thought you were going to say, is this a good jumping on point for Doctor Who? Which, you know, <laughs> Doomsday was previously trailed as. Um, but yeah, yeah, sorry, Ben. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If um, This is like, if you happen to be listening to Doomsday and suddenly like, oh, I like these characters, you could actually then, you know, go and listen to their stories, which, as, as you say, is like a good chunk of their um, main range stories are available for free on Spotify or like the download very cheap if you don't yeah. have Spotify premium, don't like ads or you like to own the downloads. Um, and yeah, you can kind of start from Storm Warning and go right through, I mean, you know, you can maybe skip sort of Ryan on Minwet in Hell, depending on what mood you're in, but there's <laughs> a lot of um, good stuff in there. And 
The other kind of thing I'd say with Aiden Charlie's was they had this is you know that for years they didn't have any stories together because their arc came to an end but now they've done this thing of making new stories that slot into their kind of original run between storm warning and neverland like this does and they did do they did a box set of that which is the like the eighth doctor and charlotte pollard the further adventuress and um yeah. i've not heard all of that i've heard the first episode which is quite good but again that's like if you want modern kind of big finished storytelling in that kind like, one hour format rather than the kind of four half hour episodes um with eighth and, and charlie that's definitely something i'd recommend so thinking about i guess big finish dying hours as a whole um again as someone who hasn't done a ton of big finish and certainly compared to other aspects of the doomsday series it is a commitment it is. We there, there is a lot of stuff here. Like we probably spent longer on this than the rest of it combined, apart mm. from maybe the audios in the novel. Um, but like, I would say that I did enjoy most. Of, I feel bad for singling out the wolf one, but I just it it, it just didn't no, gel with me. I, but actually, I don't get on with that either. the other three stories, while they were a commitment and they did take mm. a lot of time. Yeah. I think it's been great to see, I guess, a more, yeah, a more thorough kind of exploration of Doom. Actually, again, even getting to hear a performance, you know, yeah. is, is nice. It's um, it's mad that we've had to wait this long into the run of Doomsday to, to hear her perform as Doom. Obviously, she's uh, she's done uh, the reading on, on the BBC audiobook, but that was her also reading all the narration bits as well, whereas this is a proper audio drama. Yeah, it's it's it it is wild that they framed it that way. I know we've talked it's kind of been talked to death already about various reasons for that mm-hmm. possibly happening. But um yeah, I do think, you know, for people who everybody has like a medium preference, I think, when it comes to Doctor Who expanded universe stuff and my medium preference is firmly in the kind of full cast audio because I like getting to hear, you know, the actors and I think um, you know, comics and books can do their own things, but I do think there's something special with the audio and it's kind of it's almost the closest to the sort of tv experience um because of the fact that you've got those actors there so mm-hmm. it was great to have that be kind of a big part of doomsday and yeah even if it came quite near the end and finally a uh, quick round uh favorite stories for me it's a actually a tough choice between don of an everlasting peace and uh, a date with destiny. Yeah, so a date with destiny is mine, and I almost think the crowd would probably be the, the runner up. Although I also really like Dawn of Everlasting Peace. So <laughs> you know, it's 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 three out of four for hits on this set. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, date with destiny was my my number one. I I think I would say Dawn of an Everlasting Peace. Mm. I think again, to be fair, like. And like right before we recorded this, I was listening to us talk about Dawn of an Everlasting Peace, so that might be why. Um, but like, yeah, the kind of emotional punch you get with that side characters. Yeah. Even though I didn't get that it was a niche Dalek Master Plan reference, <laughs> I think it's it's probably the one that's going to, to stick because yeah, it's a genuinely good story and yeah, the, the yeah. framing of of uh, of it being a Dalek's Master Plan sort of prequel, I guess. You don't need that mm-hmm. context to to truly enjoy it. I think my favorite enemy here was the crowd. I mm-hmm. I do I do want to see that utilized 
more broadly in maybe other big finish, maybe maybe in the comics, maybe maybe even in the in the mainline TV show. Who knows? So, Bryn, uh, thank you, uh, thank you for joining us um, and for taking the psychic damage <laughs> alongside us. Um, where where can we find you online? Yeah, so um, as always, probably still the main place would be Twitter and um, at b mitchell underscore t w i t r. And um, yeah, on there it's got the link to my blog. It's not a blog that I regularly post on, but I do try to update the pinned post, which is basically where you can find um, my work, my other podcasts and stuff. Um, it's worth mentioning that you've um, yeah recently been doing some Doomsday podcasts with Trap One. Yeah, so yeah, I talked about, ended up talking about both lots of comics with them and they kind of, mm. um, the way they've done it is to bundle the sort of free content with those comics. So in the first one, we talk about the DWM comics and also the opening short story. And in the second one, we talked about the Titan comics and the first part of the mobile game. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I know. I know. It was We really enjoyed talking about the Titan comics. And then we also had 15 minutes to kind of um, mutter feelings about the phone game. <laughs> um, um, I am Mind the Flap on most of the socials. Uh, I have a blog, mindtheflap.wordpress.com which I update never. Yeah, that's that's me. And I do this podcast, which you're already listening to. Yes. Um, and I do music as Philip Wheeland on Spotify. George is on it sometimes. She's brilliant. Don't listen to her when she says that she's uh, awful. I'm awful. <laughs> um, you know I can delete that in the edit. Well, you saw how confusing the Howling Wolves of Zanfir was. We can't create skip narratives in this. This has to be a perfect stream of consciousness. Yeah. Should we just cut out a random five minutes of this podcast and say it's it's for silence? Um. <laughs> uh, other places you can find me is also on the website formerly known as Twitter, at Minkowski. I am on Blue Sky at FTW. And on the Fediverse as at FTW at tilde.zone. All of those things will be linked in the show notes. Um, podcast art is by Sam Chowner-Hearn. Uh, you can find a link to more of her work on in the show notes as well. And music is by the amazing Philip Whelan, who you can find on Spotify. All right. And uh, with well, that... One more to go. One more to go. Let's go. Yeah. So excited. We're, oh, we're almost there, folks. Thank <laughs> you for sticking with us. Uh, we will see you next time for the next piece of media. See you later. <laughs>